Life support, this is our last week on life support. Will the church survive? And uh, if you've been with us, we've just talked about some things over the last few weeks that we need to do in, in our family, uh, things we need to do for ourselves that we need to do to help the church in America survive. Because as we looked the first week, we have the church in America. We can't plant churches fast enough for the need that is out there. As a matter of fact, when I first came to Maumel, I began to meet with some of the pastors and we have a prayer time on a prayer fellowship on Wednesday mornings. And we began to talk to each other. And I said, guys, I'm not here to take your people. And I just want to just, just reach out and touch people's lives in the community. And they said, Hey, that's fine. If we filled all of our churches up twice on Sunday morning, we still couldn't reach everybody in our communities. So uh, they said, let's do this together. Let's, let's pray together. And they've encouraged us. And, and that's the thing. We, we have so many people who are lost and dying. And the church is a great place. You as an individual are part of the church. You are a part of the church. You can make a huge impact on people's lives if you do what God's called you to do. So uh, we're, we're, we're continuing that and finishing up this week. And one of the things that we need to look at is when we look around the world and we see the church in heavily persecuted countries, and they're growing. We see the church in America is shrinking, but the church in other countries are growing. In North Korea, for instance, North Korea, it is against the law to be a Christian. You will be put into to, uh, put in hard time. They'll put you into a place where you pretty much will be killed if you profess Christ. Or they may just shoot you on the spot. I've told the story about the, the man who, who goes and, and, and sneaks into China, which is a closed country too, but sneaks into China to the underground church to take a Bible, one Bible a year. He takes it home into North Korea, and he digs a hole, and he plants the Bible. Plants the Bible, that's funny. He doesn't really plant it. He buries the Bible in his backyard. And they asked him, when are you going to give these Bibles away? And he'd already got six, seven, eight of them. And he says, I'm just not ready to die yet. I'm not ready to die yet. That is what is going on. China, the Middle East, we've seen the, 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 the Coptic Christians and, and different things that went on and beheadings and things. They say that, that uh, since I think it's like in the, the 1900s and the, really the, like the 1970s and uh, 1970 up to now, we are seeing more persecution than we have ever seen in the world on Christians. I don't have those numbers for all those numbers, but that's what they're saying. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's so bad that in, in countries, the picture of just the cross is illegal in 45 different countries, just the picture of the cross. But even with this persecution, the church in these countries is not stagnating, but instead is becoming stronger and it's more spiritual. While our church, the United States of America, the church in the U.S., is becoming stagnant and less spiritual. We have to have so many other things just to get us to go to church anymore. The environment has to be just right to get us to come and participate, just to get us to read our Bible or to study or to pray and worship. We've decided what church is supposed to look like, and if it's not up to our liking, then we could care less if we're a part of it. But the sad thing is the things that we look at so much of the time is just superficial. It has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with our everyday spiritual journey. So as I was watching these, uh, this election that we just had and it, it came around, I, as everybody that I know, was concerned about our future. Because I have four, like I said, I have four little girls. My youngest is six and my oldest is 11. And I was concerned, what, 
will the future look like? What will their lives be like? Would we have the freedom of religion? Would they have the freedom of religion? And if you don't think that freedom of religion is under attack in America, I can give you story after story after story of people that are being attacked. A couple up in, uh, a couple up in Oregon lost their job. They lost their whole business. They had to pay $140,000 just because they refused, they refused to make wedding cakes for a homosexual wedding. They had served, this, served these people for years, and they were friends. They thought they were friends with the people. They had always done them right. But when those people asked them, hey, we want you to do our And they says, no, we can't, you know, because of our biblical uh, beliefs, because of what we believe, we can't do that. And they went out of business, and they had to pay 140000 It was just a mom-and-pop store that was very successful, but they went out of business because of that. And there's story after story of photographers and, and others that this is happening to. This last week, one of, a, one of the great ministries that we have in America is the American Family Association, American Family Radio, and uh, one of the Connecticut officials, one of the government officials there, uh, has, has come after them because uh, he, he is a homosexual. And, they, and with the American Family Association, they believe the biblical way. So when we say, is there, is there an opportunity for us to lose our religious freedom? There is definitely an opportunity. We can't sit down and say that there's not. So as I listen to people and I realize that after this election, many of us and Many people are excited, and, and I've looked on Facebook, and, and everybody feels like, oh, man, this is a win. And, of course, some people don't feel like it's a win, but, but many, I've seen many Christians who think this is a win and that, that, that the tide has turned. Almost the attitude is that everything's going to be okay because of who was elected president of the United States. And just yesterday, I was speaking to a, 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 a great young man, 79 years old, going strong, and he was real happy about the election season. And as I got to talking to him, and he was like, oh, yeah, well, this and this will turn around, and that will turn around, and this and that and the other. And I, I don't know how I really feel about the election and government in general anymore. So much of it is corrupt. So much of it is, has nothing to do with God. But what does concern me with our countries and with Christians in general is that we stake our future on who is elected. We stake our future on who's going to be the president of the United States or who's going to be the governor of Arkansas or whatever state we're from or who's going to be our senator. We stake our future, whether we're going to be happy or sad, whether we're going to have a positive or a negative outlook on our future. And if that person doesn't get elected, we're disappointed and we say, how are we going to do this? How is life going to go on? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe elections are important. I believe Christians should be involved. I think your voice should be heard, and I especially think that you should vote. And you should vote for people who share your biblical values. I'm pretty much a a one-issue person normally when I vote. I vote pro-life. If there is a a person, a politician that's running for office who is pro-choice, no, that's not good for me. So I vote pro-life. I vote for the person that I believe is going to protect unborn children. And there's other things, but that, is, that to me is a real easy 
separation. Then I can start going down through it and finding other things that I want to look at if, if I have more than, more than that. But that's my Bible-based belief that guides my direction. Now, with all that being said, yes, we need to vote. We need to be active. We need to talk to people. We need to promote people that we feel uh, are the people that need to be in office. But with all that being said, when we put our faith and base our future on the person that gets elected, then we have wandered off the path that God has for us and the plan that he has for us. If we want the church to survive, then we must change our focus and our faith. And on on your uh, worship handout there, on the back, the first thing is God decides who will rule. God decides who will rule. In Daniel 2.21 It says this, he controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets other kings, sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. So you see, in the end, in the end, God decides. I'm not saying that the right person is up there. It's the one that God decides. Sometimes it's because we haven't done the things that we need to be doing But God decides who's going to rule. So when we look at that and we can say whoever's in power, what we have to do is not put our faith in a person, but first put our faith and focus on God. You know, some people would say we got the right president in the office and some people say we don't have the right president. I don't know. I don't know if we did the right things, if we nominated the right person, if we elected the right person to office, but I do know that God decided that this person would be in office. And the other thing I know is no matter who is an elected official in our country, across the United States, the church should pray for that person, for the people that they are around and they appoint, for the people that they help, and, and, and for the country that they govern. 2 Chronicles seven fourteen tells us, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. This scripture is telling us something. It's telling us four things to do. I didn't see anywhere in here that it says, If my people will vote the right person into office, then everything will be great. I didn't see that in here. If my people will work the hardest for the right candidate, then the right person will get in there and everything will be great. I didn't see that. Instead, I see what he's talking to us, us, his people. Four things we need to do to see God move on our landing. It's on the back. Four things. Humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face. Turn from our wicked ways. Humble ourselves. See, it's not about us. It's about our God. The one who made the universe. He has the master plan. You get that? The master plan because he's the master. God's got the master plan. God is in authority. He is in control and we need to humble ourselves before him. When we get out of the way, he can do so much more than we could ever imagine. I know a lot of times I think that I can do it. I think that I'm smart enough. And then something happens, and I realize I'm not as smart as I thought I was. 
But if I humble myself before him, he could do things I could never imagine. We must pray. So we'll pray. Uh, what do you mean? we we'll just talk to him. Praying to God is just talking to God. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. We need to pray. He wants to hear our needs. He wants to help. But we have to talk to him. If we don't talk to God, how is he going to know what we want? You go, well, he can hear me in my head, right? He, just, uh, he knows he sees me walking around, but he wants to talk to you. He's a good father. He's a really good father. But what do you do? My kids don't just sit there and stare at me and I just go, hmm, yeah, I think they need a sucker. I don't know what they need. What do they do? Dad, can I? And then whatever the question is. Dad, will you? Dad, will you help me? Will you help me do this? Dad, will you help me play the drums? Dad, I cut myself. Can, can, you, can you get me a Band-Aid? Sometimes they come crying. We could do the same with God. He wants that. He wants our attention. You know that? He wants, he wants us to want him. He wants us to want to talk to him and have a relationship with him. We need to pray. We need to find out what he wants. That's seeking his face. So sometimes my kids come to me and ask me for stuff, but sometimes my kids say, okay, Dad, what do you need me to do? Okay, Dad, what do you want me to do? Okay, Dad, where are we going? What do, you, what do you need me to get for that? He wants us to seek his face and find out what he wants. He tells us in Jeremiah 20, 11, 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God knows what we need, but if we will not listen to him, how are we going to know what, we, what he wants to give us. We have to listen to him. If we will not try to find out, then we're going to continue to chase a joy that is only fulfilled when the person we want is president, the job we want, or the relationship we want happens. That's the only time we're going to have that joy, when those things happen exactly how we think. But we must find joy in everything that God has for us and everything that we go through. When we seek his face, it's easier to find that joy because we know that he has it in his hands and his will can be done. This real life story drives home the truth. This story of Amir, who is a, a, a Christian in the Middle East, and it would be easy for this man, Amir, to be bitter. Militants from ISIS forced him, he's 53 years old, forced him to flee from his home in Mosul, where his family had lived for generations. And now he lives in a cold, drafty United Nations camp for internally displaced peoples in northern Iraq. Instead of him being bitter, he radiates joy despite the deplorable conditions. And he's been driven from his home, but he radiates the joy of Jesus. Here's what he said. I'm not sad. I'm happy because our Jesus told us in the New Testament to leave everything and come to him and he will help us. You see, ISIS arrived in, in Amir's hometown, and the terrorists were cordial at first until the Muslim leaders announced during noon prayers one Friday that everything, that everyone was to tell their Christian neighbors that they must leave the city within 24 hours. How would you feel if somebody come in and said, in 24 hours, if you're a Christian, you've got to be gone? How would that make you feel? 
you might just stand up and just puff your chest out and say, excuse me? What are you talking about? This is my place. This is my home. Amir received the news from his friends who had lived next to him for almost 40 years. So he was walking down the street. He saw an ISIS fighter, and Amir said, who are you, and what do you want from us? The man, the man challenged Amir to become a Muslim so he could not leave or, or so he would not have to leave his home, his business, or his car behind. Not just his home, his business and his car. So what did Amir say? I'm sure Amir just stood up and he says, excuse me, I'll fight you for this stuff. I've worked all my life for this stuff. Right? No. No, Amir instead, what did Amir say? He said, okay, you win my car. I have a company for cutting stones and marble. You can have it too. But you also lose because I love Jesus. You can have all this other stuff. Just give me Jesus. He went on to tell the man what Jesus taught his followers in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. He said, Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Amir said, therefore, I'm not sad. You are the loser. I am happy and I forgive you. That's, I don't know, folks, that is hard. That is, somebody comes, takes your stuff, somebody threatens your life, and you're like, here it is, take it, and I forgive you. The ISIS fighter says, what did you say? Yes, Amir said, I forgive you because our Jesus told us to forgive our enemies. He told us in the New Testament to love our enemies. I love you. I forgive you. Take everything. I will die for my Jesus. What are you saying? What are you saying? Who is this Jesus, the ISIS fighter asked. He says, you want to see him? This is good, folks. This is where, this is where we need to be. He says, look on my face and you see my Jesus. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that people can look on our face? We're talking about the church surviving. How is it going to survive if people can look on our face and see Jesus? Angry, the ISIS fighter demanded that he leave, that Amir leave. He said, if I see you Saturday at noon, I will cut your head off. So Amir said, okay, I, I leave. Congratulations on my house. Congratulations on my business. Can you do that? Can we? I don't know, man. That just, it'd be hard. Now, in, the, in, in this process, that they were aware that ISIS was robbing Christians, so his neighbors helped him escape, and, and they clothed him like a Muslim. They put him in the car. They went to the checkpoint, and when they saw Amir in the back seat, they, the guard said to him, how are you, Mr. Haji? Thinking he was a Muslim, and the terrorist let Amir through without incident. Leaving his neighbor, Amir continued on to uh, the Kurdish army's checkpoint, safely on the other side of it. He prayed. Remember what I said a minute ago? We're supposed to pray. Well, this is a great time to pray here. But he prayed in Thanksgiving. He says, thank you, God. I will follow you forever. He didn't turn around and go, oh, man, God, what in the world? 
I thought if I stood up, God, that you would take care of this thing. See, we're taught in America, hey, you know what? We're supposed to have all the good stuff. All the good stuff of, of this life is supposed to be ours. All the money, all the riches, all, all the, it's all, all supposed to be ours. Amir had everything taken from him. Put in a refugee camp, just a cold, dank refugee camp. And he said, God, <laughs> I'm willing to follow you forever. He, he made his way up to Erbil, where more than 200,000 people had settled. And here's what Amir put his suffering into, into perspective by comparing it to the cross. I want you to listen to this. Listen to this right here. This, way, this is the Christian religion. Not houses, not good cars, not money. When we feel hungry, tired, or cold, living in this room like a refrigerator... Our Jesus felt like this. Have you ever thought about when Jesus came to earth? When he left his heavenly home and came to a cold stable that night? When he was wrapped just in strips of cloth? When he was laid in a manger? He had no place. He wasn't at home. He wasn't even close to home. Even if he had been been, been at Mary and Joseph's place, he still wouldn't have been at home. But he was willing to come as a human being all the way to earth for us. Listen to that again. He said, this is the Christian religion. This right here is the Christian religion. We need to understand that persecution can come. Maybe our freedom of religion does disappear. That does not change the joy that we can have in the Lord. That does not change that, it, that we should still humble ourselves and we should still pray and seek God's face. Exuding the joy of the Lord, a mirror is a living example of, of Jesus' promise in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. It said this, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. See, we kind of get things mixed up. We think our reward is down here on earth, but our reward is in heaven. Our reward is in heaven. I'll tell you, the greatest reward we could have is to get to heaven and look around. And Amir, I could say when he gets to heaven and he looks around, and, and maybe that ISIS fighter, maybe somewhere because of his testimony, because of his witness, because of his joy in the Lord, maybe somebody will say, no, I'm going to serve Jesus. Maybe it's his neighbors. But to get to heaven and see those people that you were able to touch, that is how the church survives. Let's stop putting our faith and trust in men. Let's put it in the God who made each and every person. And Amir is an example of a person who, was, who has found who this God is. If every Christian had his attitude, I think things would be a lot different in this world. He's humble, prays, seeks God's face, and Amir has left his wickedness of this world to follow Jesus and to live a life that is subject to God. Willing to give up everything is exactly what we need to do. We have to do this. We must realize that if the church is going to survive in everything, we must submit to God. And if you look at the past few weeks in this teaching series that is what I've been saying. Submitting to God, putting our faith and our hope and our trust in God is the way the church survives. The last few weeks, we've looked at a lot of stuff, great stuff to help the church survive.
But let's remember to put God first. Let's remember that we listen to what he's saying, that we do what he asks us to do, that we live a life filled with righteousness and holiness. I know that's not something we talk about a lot, but it says if we'll turn from our wicked ways, we need to turn from those things that are separating us from God. Is it hard? I'm not going to say it's easy because I'm a human being just like you are. But it can be put on God to take care of. He can take care of it because he's bigger, he's stronger, he's mightier, he's greater than anything that we will ever encounter. Don't put your trust in a politician or an employer or your retirement fund. Don't look at it and go, oh, yeah, man, I got this much money in the bank. All that stuff can burn up. It can rust. It can corrode. It can mess up. Hey, politicians are human. People are human. Your employer's human. And just the other day, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. R.C. and I were talking just the other day, and he said to me, I'm paraphrasing R.C. because he's going to say, I didn't say it exactly like that. But he said, if we would just live by faith, and he was talking about him and I, he and I, if we would just live by faith, what a difference we can make and what a difference we'd see. There are some people out there that truly, truly can live by faith. They can drive along in the, they can drive along in the, in, in, they need gas and, they don't have any money, and there it is. And I'm not saying just, just those things, but I think Amir, Amir's like the living example of living by faith. He gave it all up because he knew how great God was. He knew how great Jesus was, so he gave it all up. Is the king and has a plan. And he willingly decided to follow Jesus. Are we better than the Savior? He knew he was not better. He knew that Jesus came to this earth. And that, like he said, this is the Christian religion. He knew that. Do we know that? Do we understand that? Do we understand that God is our master We need to be willing to live our life with nothing other than Jesus, if that's what it takes. If only Jesus is all we have in this world, then we have everything we need. As we go into this Christmas season, I want us to think about this. I want us to think about this God of ours who is so great and so awesome, who knows your need and knows everything you're going through and everything you're about. Let's not focus on gifts. Let's not even focus on giving gifts. But let's focus on the one who gave it all so that we can live. That is the greatest gift of all. The one who gave up his throne so that you and I can live with him for eternity. If we'll do that, no matter what happens in this world, I can guarantee you the church will survive. If we'll give it all up for him. Praise God. Lord, I just thank you this morning that you came, Jesus, that you came to this earth, that you loved us so much that you would die on the cross for our sins. Lord, that you loved us so much that you would come at Christmas time 
our Christmas time. That's what we that's what we celebrate. It's your birthday that you would come, Lord, and that you, that we could celebrate this Christmas, your birth. I thank you that you loved us that much to leave your throne for us. And Lord, I pray that we'll be like a mirror, Lord, that we'll humble ourselves and seek your face. Lord, that we'll turn from our wicked ways, Lord, that we'll pray. We'll pray, Lord, because we want the church to survive. And when we put you first, God, when we put you at the head of the line, when you're our God and our King and nobody else matters, then we have everything. Just give me Jesus should be our prayer. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. God, we just love you this morning. We just praise you this morning, Jesus. Praise you this morning, Jesus. Lord, I call out for every need in this place. Every person that is here, God, Lord, whatever need they have in their life today, Lord, whatever they're needing you to do for them, Lord, I pray that you'll touch that need. Lord, during Christmas time, these things seem to pile up. And we enjoy Christmas, but sometimes we can get overburdened. There's there's other things going on in our life, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we can have the joy of the Lord in our life, and it will be our strength through Christmas, that we'll be able to stand up and say, Jesus is the reason that I'm happy. Jesus is the reason that I celebrate. Jesus is my God and my Savior. Thank you, God. You're a good Father. You sent your Son to this earth for us. Thank you for that today. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.